0: Ha 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 ha! Wasn't that fan fiction fun, everybody? Look forward to more <laughs> great content like that here in the Inverse Cast going forward.
1: If I have to read another one of those goddamn things, I might throw myself in a wood chipper.
0: Well, don't worry, we're done with Zelink stuff for now. Until we do the Skyward Sword episode or whatever, oh. or or the BotW episode, just be thankful I didn't pick the Link Time on one.
1: <laughs> I don't know if I would read that one. It Seems a little. F- Fishy to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess in Sidon's case, it's a it's a big fishy. He has scaly. A big he you know, he must be very he must be a very talented musician. He's an expert at his scales.
0: <laughs> Everybody do your scales. But anyway, we're back for part two of our big Totka podcast to talk about spoilery stuff in the story. And maybe a few things we didn't get to last time, because I have a ton of notes that I took on my phone as I played the game that I didn't get to. So yes. So, I guess to kick things off, there there is some um, disagreement on this particular topic. What do you guys think of the concept of story being in Zelda in general? Is that like something you guys want? Are you guys more on the utilitarian side or do you want them to expand and do bigger stories? Like, what's your two cents?
1: Well, King, do you want to go?
0: Sure. I
2: think it's complicated. I am probably more leaning towards having a more involved story than not. I think it's interesting cuz with this new type of game, they are kind of approaching it in a radically different way than they have before, and I like enjoy the way that the story is presented. So like in this respect, I'm usually like I would probably prefer to have more story than not.
0: Yeah. Okay. And um, what have you thought about the stories in some of the previous games, like the Ocarina Majora? I really like all of them, honestly. I think they're all great. Twilight Princess is probably still
2: my favorite one, but yeah, that's kind of ideally the amount of story that I want in a Zelda game. Mm -hmm. I think that those games, most of them anyway, had a good balance going on between like meeting new characters. And there's a big portion of those games that's just. You going through dungeons and stuff. Yeah. Which I'm fine with. Like Twilight Princess, especially I think is just very well paced in the sense that like feels like there's always something important going on, but it's not like you're watching cutscenes all the time. Especially there's a stretch of that game where you're basically just doing dungeons for a while. Yeah. The uh Twilight. I think that like when I say an involved story, I guess I don't necessarily mean that I want it to take up most of the game as much like don't really need it to be like a JRPG, but I would like more of it than A slim pickings, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm.
1: What
0: about you, Mr. Ryan?
1: Uh, For the most part, I'm on the same page as King. Because, I mean, like, when I look back at something like The Wind Waker, for example, I think that one is the weakest 3D Zelda game out of all of these. The thing that kind of saves that game for me, and the thing that makes me kind of like, you know, that lets me replay it as many times as I did, because, despite me, not really thinking that highly of it comparatively to the other Zelda games. I still think it's a great game on its own right but like the thing that really saves it for me is the story. Mm -hmm. I think the story is genuinely compelling and it's a very personal story like Link wants to go out save a sister and everything and when you have a Zelda game with more of a focus on the story I think it also gives more meaning and more weight to the dungeons that you explore. Yes. Because like if this was just like Zelda 1 or Link to the Past or whatever it's just like oh you're exploring these dungeons to get the MacGuffin to beat Ganon. But in Majora's Mask, for example, it's like you are clearing this dungeon to rid whatever region that you're in of whatever curse or whatever ailment is affecting the people in that area. And with each area that you explore, you're slowly making the world a better place. The same thing happens with Twilight Princess by pushing back the Twilight. The whole thing with Ilia learning more about Midna. It's like it gives you the context that you need to make these things feel worth it, if that makes any sense. Skyward Sword again like I like this game you do a lot of bullshit you do a lot of really dumb shit in that game but in my eyes it's worth it because one the dungeons are honestly just that good in my opinion but also like you want to see the characters get the happy endings that they deserve yes. and at that point it's like you're invested in links and and Zelda's romance you want to see how Gruce is going to end up you want to you know there's like a mystery about like you know how these things are going to like connect and everything you want to learn more about Girahim. him. You know, it's the it's the thing that kind of pushes you to play the game. Mm-hmm. So I I more focused on Zelda stories. I, I would I would like that. On a you know related note, we were talking about the temples in this game, and we yeah. were comparing them to the Divine Beast. I think in terms of their design, they are better, except for maybe the water temple. We talked about that one. That one sucked <laughs> shit. But water I temples think, always suck. No, actually, I would disagree with that. <laughs> I, I would actually disagree, disagree with
0: that. that. Yeah, they were always the but, the most annoying dungeons. Usually, but this one ju- is sucks in a different way. The thing is that
2: this one isn't annoying, it's just boring. Yeah, it's just boring. nothing.
0: Yeah.
1: But the thing is that the Divine Beast had going for it that the temples in this game don't is that the Divine Beast actually have like a significant role to play in the story. Yes. You know, there's like actual context behind is them, true, there's like yeah. a lot of history there. So if someone were to say that they like the Divine Beast more, which I like all the Divine Beasts more than the Water and Fire Temple, if I'm being honest, you know, I can understand why. Because like, they're important to the story. It's not just that, oh yeah, they shoot a laser at Ganon, but it's just like (laughs) getting to them is telling a story. And like, you get, you got to see these things in like flashbacks and everything. I don't know. I think story is a lot more important than people give the Zelda series credit for. Yeah. It does a lot more good than harm.
0: Like I can completely agree that a well-told engaging story can elevate a game that is otherwise pretty good to something great. Yeah. I have an example of a game I played recently, Gears of War 2. The first Gears of War has a story, but it's nothing special. Most of the dialogue is like dick measuring contests between the characters, and then it just ends. But the second game actually has a pretty solidly written narrative, and it keeps changing, and there's a big status quo shakeup at the end. So even though the core gameplay is more or less the same as the last game, the fact that there's a more interesting story to contextualize what you're doing and where you're going did elevate that experience for me. And then, of course, the game itself has like a bunch of really cool vehicle sections as well. But this isn't a Gears 2 podcast. We'll skip over that. but (laughs) I agree. As, As far as like Zelda plots, I feel like for most of the games, the best thing I can say is that the plots were functional and were as good as they needed to be for the game to work. Yeah. In terms of highlights, for me, the opening of Link to the Past is fantastic. Like, the the atmosphere and, like, Zelda reaching out with a telepathic message is kind of like a last-ditch effort to stop egging from what he's doing. Sneaking through the castle, trying to rescue Zelda, and then you get to the sanctuary and that song plays, and it's like, you know, it feels like Something really hopeless is going on, and that's all because of, like, the presentation and the music and stuff. After that, it kind of devolves into standard Zelda fare. Like, the stakes seem to lower. Ocarina, I've never been particularly impressed with the story. Sorry. It works. It has a complete beginning, middle, and end. The antagonist is motivated. Like, it works. It functions as a story. It's not my favorite thing in the world. Majora's Mask, I appreciate just for being so different. And we'll talk about that with this game. You have some familiar Zelda staples, like the Zoras, the Gorons, the Dekus, all that. But it's like you're in a different setting than Hyrule, and the plot is trying to prevent Doomsday of the moon from destroying everything, and that the time loop is kind of interesting too. So it's it's a different type of story, and that makes it interesting. Whereas, like, I'm going to agree that Wind Waker probably, I, I think, had the best Ganondorf in terms of how he was written and his motivation. As a character, he felt more complete than he did in Ocarina, where he was just a mustache twirling villain, pretty much. Uh, Makar and Medley were good characters. Tetra's an interesting take on Zelda. The King was a good character as well. It's not my favorite story in the world, but I see why people like it. And then Twilight Princess is kind of a mixed bag for me, to be honest. It was extremely compelling when I was playing it for the first time when I was like 12 years old. It was like, holy shit the twilight curtains going over the land and everybody's our spirits being haunted by the twilight beasts. And then there's that one part where the shopkeeper gets turned into a twilight beast and everybody's like cuddling in um, the chief's hut or whatever in Kakariko village. And there are lots of little details. I like, I like that they tried to add like pseudo voice acting for Midna and stuff and try to beef up the presentation somewhat, but it's kind of like, the land being covered in twilight stops mattering about a third of the way through the game. Zant just kind of fizzles out, and then Ganondorf just shows up at the end. And then there's the whole deal of what even happened to Zelda? Did she die? But apparently not, because she's in the throne room with Ganondorf for some reason. It's it's kind of a, a hot mess, but I appreciate that they tried to, to elevate the presentation and tell a more complex story. It just The script just wasn't quite there. And then with Skyward Sword, fun fact, everybody, the Skyward Sword review I did was a request from Ryan. I talked about the story in detail and that, and I pretty much stand by it where it just feels like, and this is an interesting contrast with this game, which we're about to talk about, where it just felt like Hylia's plan made no goddamn sense at all. And it's confusing, too, because Hylia seems to still exist in these wild games, even though Skyward Sword said she incarnated into Zelda. So, I don't know what's going on there. I don't think they ever explained that very well, unless if I missed something in Skyward Sword. And I, as I noted in my review, it's basically a copy paste of the Spirit Tracks plot. They're like, an evil demon lord wants Zelda's body to resurrect the demon king. So, it's, ugh. I don't know. They tried, I guess, but it was, there. it has its moments. Groose, obviously, is great. It's probably my favorite link in Zelda relationship because usually they don't have much of a, relationship at all in the games, which is why I'm surprised Zellink is even as popular as it is, now that we've read two of these things. Like, Skyward Sword is the only game where they have any sort of chemistry before the Wild Games. Or, I don't know, they're just kind of friends in the Wild Games, so, which is fine, but I don't know. I don't get why that relationship well, is so popular well, I mean, in the fanfic space.
1: You say that in the wild games, you know, yeah, maybe they're friends. So I don't know. Because in this game, you go back to the house that you get in Hatena Village from Breath of the Wild. That's Zelda's house. And that used to be Link's house. Yeah. And yet there's only so well, one there's bed. There's
2: only one bed, and she made a study for herself to get away from mm-hmm. everybody. Why would
0: she need to get yeah. away from anybody if that was only her house? Mm. It's true. Mm. 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 All right. It's one big bed. I just interpreted that as Link gave her the house.
1: Then where would Link? Well, I guess Link would just sleep in the stable. I guess that's fair.
0: Well, he gets his own house in the game, in the Terrytown, right? Well, he doesn't have that until he wakes up
2: from like his sleep thing. It's true. So like, anyway. where does he live before then? That's that's so I guess he lives in the Hitano house obviously. to, to yeah, sum up my
0: position. I'm all for Zelda increasing presentation values and trying to tell more complex stories. I don't think the wild games have done that particularly well because these games basically if you strip out all the details and just look at the structure in the the essence of what is happening, these two games have the same story pretty much. It's a new formula. The formula used to be go collect three MacGuffins to get the Master Sword, fail, then collect more MacGuffins to power up the Master Sword and kill Ganon or demise or whatever. And then the new formula seems to be a bunch of really important stuff happened before Link woke up. Now he needs to go do four things in four regions and then go fight the final boss. That's like the new formula. And it's hard to know where to even
1: begin. Here's I think a place to begin if we can. Say which which did this formula better? Do you think Breath of the Wild did it better? Or do you think Tears of the Kingdom did it better? Uh, why don't you guys
0: answer that first, King? Mm. No, I should not go
2: first because my feelings on this are very esoteric. Mine are too. So,
1: <laughs> Uh you know, I'm not married to this take. I'm not willing to die on this hill. Okay, I think this story it was effective. It is good if you don't think about it for too long, because I think the moment you start to think about it for a little over a minute, it kind of falls apart. I think I was more interested to see where this was going than I was with Breath of the Wild. Agreed. Because with Breath of the Wild, you kind of knew it was like, oh, you're getting flashback at these people. They're not around anymore. Yeah, they're probably dead. And you're not really seeing a whole lot of the champions. So, you know, it's just kind of, you know, y- you kind of know what to expect. I thought it was fine, but I think this game kind of does a better job of, like, setting up a mystery, and it makes you curious to see, like, where it'll go, how it'll end. How do the characters from back then end up to the point where they are now? I think this is more effective, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll say that much. Uh,
0: But which did you like more?
1: This one. Okay. This one.
0: Okay. Fine choice. Thanks. I am kind of torn on it. Because if there was one thing I really appreciated about Botwa, it's that the story it felt like a very different game than the previous ones. Like with the Guardians and Calamity Ganon and the Divine Beasts, like all the stuff mm-hmm. that would have looked out of place in some of the previous games were in this one. And it's you know, at at the end it's a Link versus Ganon story, which we have definitely seen before since the beginning, but it was an interesting new spin on it at least, where like, you know. It was somewhat refreshing and I do feel like it had a pretty good version of Zelda, a Zelda who doesn't want to be a Zelda, you know, her corner of the Triforce in terms of like destiny and how that replays throughout all these games where she she wanted to be a researcher and she was pressured by her father to fulfill her destiny, even though she couldn't manifest her magical powers until after someone important to her had already basically almost died. And that was somewhat compelling. And it was kind of interesting to read her diary and the king's diary and kind of see their perspectives on it. How the king like it deeply hurt the king to do the things that he was doing. But it was so mm. important for the future and safety of the kingdom that he had to kind of push aside his concerns as a father to make that happen. You know, like most of the memories weren't anything to write home about. It's just kind of like, OK, I guess that's what Link's relationship with Revali was like. Revali was kind of an asshole. <laughs> Like the memories weren't anything special, and t- I've said this before as well that it kind of has the Force Awakens problem. Batwa does, where I'm much more interested in seeing how we got to the point where the game starts than I am seeing the conclusion of this particular story. Or it's like mm-hmm. I'd much rather see what happens between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy than that actual plot of Force Awakens. And the same thing kind of goes for Batwa. I would much rather be playing the memories than seeing them in flashback. And there's a little bit of that in this as well, but I guess to give the positives to Tatka, I thought that the equivalent of the memories, the tears, were more interesting because it was stuff that wasn't basically implied to you. Cause like King Rom basically tells you everything that happened before you woke up in Botwa. And then like the memories are just kind of like icing on the cake, I guess. Whereas Mm -hmm. the tears are actually telling you stuff you don't already know. Like there's the mural at the beginning of the game, but when you first see it, you have no idea what it means. And then the memories kind of elaborate on that. And it's like, oh, okay. So there's more of an interesting story to unfold by piecing them all together, figuring out what the hell happened. So I'll give it that. But at the same time, the story is also kind of a collection of Zelda cliches that we've seen a million times already. We've got sages, we've got time travel, we've got the master sword, we've got Ganondorf, king of thieves, becoming the demon king. You know, these are Zelda tropes. They're common, but it's you compare it to Breath of the Wild, which felt a lot more fresh than this. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that's that's kind of where I am. We're like, in terms of what is actually in this story, I was more interested in it because it was executed better. Like the voice acting, especially, is a big improvement. (laughs) Over the last game, well, sort of, but at the same time, <laughs> it's like sort of sort of is a good word for that. I I thought Patricia Somerset was better as Zelda. Let me just say that she had kind of like an inconsistent accent in the last game, but she felt better in this. So I don't know, like I'm kind of mixed on it. Like, I appreciate that Batwa was more original, but this had like better emotional highs and lows than Batwa did. But it's also kind of cliched. So it kind of just balances out to i can't really pick one
1: i like how at the very least you see zelda with a bit more initiative in this game than in tears in uh breath of the wild breath of the wild know, she's trying to like figure out how to like work her power and everything like that but in this one she actually has like a mission and she's like doing everything she can to like see it through yeah she has a goal in mind she's like fighting alongside raru you know Mm -hmm. i like that it's something i've always said that was like that Zelda was always more than a damsel in distress. Like, she's not always someone who just needs saving. Like, there's always something more to it to make yeah. it more interesting. And this, she doesn't really ever need saving. It's literally, she's just stuck in the past trying to get her way out. And the way how she gets out of the past, she kind of does it on her own. Yeah. You know, reforging the Master Sword. That's something that she does. She makes that call, makes that sacrifice. And I thought it was a genuinely, like, not maybe... Not like a tear jerking moment, but like, you know, I started to feel some feels when that happened. That was,
0: that was for me, the most emotionally affecting part of the game. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, yeah, I guess uh, for spoilers or I don't know, King, do you want to give your, your esoteric take as you called it? <sighs> okay. You're going to have to
2: strap in for a bit. This is <laughs> patented King K take incoming. This is very complicated, but here's the deal. Zelda games have never really been done like this before. I think maybe Phantom Hourglass is the only time I can think of where a Zelda game takes place directly after the previous one. Technically, Spirit Tracks is in the same world, but that takes place like 100 years after Phantom yeah, Hourglass or something. I
0: guess you could argue the Seasons game. I guess
2: also Majora's Mask, but it's not in the same world at all, and it kind of feels like its own story. But my point is that this feels like, fused together with Breath of the Wild in my mind. I can separate them as two different games. I don't mean to imply that Tears of the Kingdom isn't its own game, but the thing about the story is that both of them individually are quite weak, I think, if you take them on their own. That's kind of what I thought about Breath of the Wild for a while, is that, like, I wasn't too invested in, like, the narrative as it stood and was mostly enamored with like the world design and how it handled the post-apocalypse and that was pretty much did the heavy lifting i i suppose kind of in the same way that ocarina of times time travel does the heavy lifting of that story more than the narrative itself does so it's i feel a similar way about tears of the kingdom because if you were to just start there it is kind of an unfulfilling like most of the characters it would quote unquote introduce there don't get a lot of time fleshed out to them you know it's kind of like the same problem of the memories don't aren't very long there are cool moments like there were in breath of the wild but they're like few and far between and stuff like that it has like similar problems but the thing about it is that and i have this pretty much on a wholesale level like generally overarching is that for pretty much all aspects of the game i consider tears of the kingdom like a Part two to Breath of the Wild in the strictest sense of the word in that I really appreciate these two stories together, if that makes any sense, Mm -hmm. where I felt and I kind of feel this no spoilers about this, by the way, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I was watching the new Spider-Man movie across the Spider-Verse, and that is supposed to be a part one of two. Like they literally pulled two movie ideas apart and released one and they're going to release the next one. So it is, by all intents and purposes, an incomplete story. It's not quite the same with Breath of the Wild. It is a complete story, quote unquote, but in quite the same way, if you put these two together and I kind of consider Tears of the Kingdom like a midpoint to this whole, like, you can't really call it a saga. I guess it's like a duology. It is a little more impactful to me because it has like this, I think, probably takes place in the very, very distant past before... Calamity Ganon was ever a thing. At least that's where Zelda is. So yeah, it kind of feels like Breath of the Wild that a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of establishing the world and its broader history. And Tears of the Kingdom kind of filled in a lot of things that happened before Calamity Ganon started, which I, nobody ever says this directly, but I assume that Calamity Ganon is supposed to be like Phantom Ganon oozing out of Ganondorf the whole time. That's kind of what I thought. Yeah, that was something I wanted to talk about. But um, basically stuff like that across the whole game is what I really appreciate is that and obviously they did not plan this when they were making Breath of the Wild. I don't, you know, but yeah, retroactively now you can play Tears of the Kingdom and there are things like there. the depths were always there. They always existed in the same vein. Zelda would have always been there too, flying around above the clouds, the cloud barrier or whatever. Like she was always there because that's kind of how the timeline now works. So there are a lot of things that retroactively make Breath of the Wild a lot more interesting to me. And Breath of the Wild does the same for Tears of the Kingdom. So to not ramble on for too much longer, that is the gist of my opinion on it is that individually I think they're both kind of weak, but together they make a larger whole that Tears of the Kingdom kind of adds a much more climactic finale to the duology as a whole that makes me appreciate them both more as a collective. So, Mm -hmm. yeah,
0: what a sequel is supposed to do. Yeah,
2: exactly. But I think the reason I had to explain all that is because Zelda is not usually built like that. So it feels a little bit foreign to the series, in my opinion, because that is not quite how Zelda usually goes. So,
1: you know, I actually kind of agree with that, but it also it's like maybe it's just my lack of knowledge here kicking in. I don't know. I don't claim to be a very intelligent man, but. You go back to Breath of the Wild, and you could think that, like, oh wow, Zelda was here the whole time. But then, like, how was Zelda born? Oh, that
2: goes into like typical time <laughs> travel. You know, <laughs> that's like pretty much in every
0: time travel story. There is going to be questions like that. Yeah, I get that. My assumption was that Sonia was the descendant of Skyward Sword. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. I guess. I guess it's just more so. Just like my head started to hurt when I started to think about like how this kind of fits in with Breath of the Wild. I'm like, wait, so at the same time, uh, Zelda is both in Hyrule Castle fighting Calamity Ganon while also being a dragon forging the Master Sword. Blink already yeah. has the Master Sword. So how could, how could you? <laughs> well, it's a different.
0: It's a, it's the Master Sword from the future that got sent back in time.
1: Don't hurt my brain. So
0: the, the- <laughs> I guess to me, it doesn't really have any
2: conflict necessarily because mm-hmm. Zelda just wasn't like she was wherever she was as a dragon. Yeah. She just wasn't around. And since she comes from the future, it doesn't yeah. really conflict with anything that happened where she was born and stuff like that. But
1: And, you know, I wasn't necessarily asking these questions while I was playing the game or watching the cutscenes or anything like that. It's more so like when I take a moment away from the game, I put the controller down and I'm like, wait a minute. Hang on.
2: It is certainly
0: more convoluted <laughs> than Breath of the Wild was because time travel yes. was involved. The God of War Ragnarok effect. The more you think about the story, the worse it gets. I
1: wouldn't know because I haven't played God of War Ragnarok XO. Oh, you watched your podcast? I did. You me,
0: let's talk about. I it.
1: did, but I also don't have a lot of the context.
2: I actually feel like God of War Ragnarok could have served a similar effect with the original God of War if it was the problem with that was it was just kind of rushed. But yeah, yeah.
0: So I am going to agree with you completely, King. That this game definitely benefits from being a sequel and being informed by Breath of the Wild because, like. I, I couldn't imagine only playing this game and then getting to Rito Village and not knowing who the hell Teba is. I had forgotten who Teba was. What? Yeah. I, I mean, he, that there was a- me,
2: like I like Teba, but he's pretty unremarkable. If I'm honest.
0: Wow. Oh. And I had completely forgotten that Tulin was in the game. Like I didn't recognize him at all. I thought he was born after the last game. Honestly, <laughs> but you know, Bo, I kind of remembered. Because his voice acting was really bad. <gasps> oh,
1: I hate you, Novo. I do, too. Uh, but <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's no disrespect to the voice actor. I'm sure he did a fine job with the work that he was given. Yeah. It's just, it does not fit.
2: Yeah, it's not personal, but I will never, I will always play it in Japanese. Because I cannot hear his English voice
0: anymore. It just, ma- it pains me. <laughs> pains me. And also, he's like... Goron shaped, but he also has like weird abs. It's really hard to look at. You know, his voice like Lenoa in Japanese, which <laughs> I I still fucking oh hate really, him, but that does help helps a lot. <laughs> Kumiko Watanabe, yeah, interesting. That's fucking wild. As long as we're talking about the voice acting, um, I like I said, I thought it was better than the last game. I mm. think on the whole, yeah, it was better. Yeah. Like, I think there was some growing pains there, but you look back at what Kid Icarus Uprising was doing on the goddamn 3DS in 2012, and, like, it completely blows this game out of the water in terms of performances and dialogue and all. I mean, like, that game has a different tone, but it's still, it's like, there have been Nintendo games with voice acting that turned out better than this before, I guess is my point. And I think one of the problems I have is... I think what they were trying to do is they're trying to have their cake and eat it too with these two wild games where it's like, there are a bunch of people who hated the fact that Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword try to have more story. They These people exist. I've encountered them. So I think what they were trying to do was, all right. If you don't care about the story, we're gonna give you a little bit upfront so you understand what's going on, and then you—if you don't care about the story at all—you could skip it and just go fight Ganondorf if you want.
2: Right now, also to add I on think to that's, it, um, I've read in interviews that Aonuma like really prefers these days to keep cutscenes as short as possible. I know that for a fact, and I know he's not the director, yeah. but he's still involved with the games, obviously. So,
0: yeah, it's kind of weird how he we just kind of took over the series from Miyamoto. Yeah. The dungeon designer for Ocarina of Time is now the producer for the series, regardless. And that's kind of the problem is that there's maybe like 30 minutes of voice acting in this whole game. Yeah. Which makes it feel kind of out of place when it does happen. And it feels kind of out of step with the industry. And it's it's one of those things where if you're just talking to random no-name NPCs at the stable or whatever, that doesn't really need to have voice acting. And if they want to save some time and money in the production... Fine, but it means that the voiced cutscenes feel out of place when they do happen, and it's also annoying. You guys remember at the beginning of Sonic Forces when Infinite's friends show up Ugh. and Sonic's like Shadow, oh, Chaos, Zavon,
1: Thanos?
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's a part at the beginning of this game where Zelda pronounces Pura's name, and apparently it was Pura the whole time, or Pura. It was not what I would have expected it to be, and that reminded me of the whole Zabok thing. Hm. And then, for some reason, Pura is voiced by Kate Higgins, which is Tails, or used to be Tails, rather. But she only gets, like, one scene where she has any voice work, like, the fucking goddamn end of the game. So it's kind of like, you either have more voice cutscenes or just don't have it at all. That's kind of where I'm at. It makes it feel weird, especially Ganondorf's voice who is voiced by fucking Matthew Mercer for some reason. I love Matt Mercer. He is Matthew, miscast. He is very miscast. I, I, Trafalgar Law himself voices Ganondorf in this game.
1: I don't think Matthew Mercer is miscast in this game. I think with the kind of range that he has, he can absolutely do a good Ganondorf. I just think with what he was given, he comes off as generic strong muscly man as opposed to like this like this imposing gerudo king you know the only thing i can think of
0: is they thought patrick seats would be too cliched because like that's the guy you get for a role like this Who's patrick seats um i don't know what you would know him for he's loxus and fairy tale you know fire emblem where they fire emblem awakening where they have like the kingdom up north with like the two sovereigns who switch ruling yeah yeah He was the male one. Oh, Uh, I don't remember his name.
1: Oh, uh, he has like a very
0: deep invoking voice like
1: this. No, but see, that's kind of what Matthew Mercer does in this game. I think that, I mean, I don't know what they could have done, but like not. It's it's generic. The thing about the
2: reason I think he's miscast is because so what I did, right, is my first playthrough, I always play the English because I want to give it a chance at least. But I wasn't a big fan of it overall. So um, I am doing Japanese in my second playthrough. First time I heard Ganondorf in Japanese, it like there were it kind of gave me chills. And maybe it was because in his mummy form he has like a voice filter on. But it, like I think it just fits him way better in other languages, at least in Japanese.
0: Did they get the guy who voices Donkey Kong
2: to do it again? I don't know. I don't know who it is that voices I mean, Ganondorf, but he he really fits the role. I think a lot Japan. better
0: kosuke Takaguchi. and you know like he maybe muscular and uh, my hero academia maybe
2: matt mercer isn't miscast per se but either way i just don't really like him as ganondorf mm-hmm. whether it was his fault or not just don't really like him he was japanese gado oh he's gado I'm a japanese gado i don't know who that sounds like i would never play xenoblade yeah. in japanese <laughs> that's like cursed even if it makes uh, Rex's screams to sound better? Yeah, honestly, uh, I'm too used to Rex now. Even if he can't scream, I could never imagine him as anybody else.
0: <laughs> Speaking of Matthew Mercer, this game's kind of a Persona 5 reunion. Yeah. Because we have, yeah. we have Shiremi Leia as Queen Sonia. We have Sean Chiplock as the Great Deku Tree. Sean Chiplock as I did Mishima. not know he's the
2: Great Deku Tree. That's so weird. And he was also Teba. Yeah, and Man, he's Teba also Teba even has any voice lines. Well, Raleigh's well, not in the game, obviously, but he plays so many characters. Goddamn. Elizabeth Maxwell. Is, is part of the problem that they want to hire as few actors as humanly possible? Like,
1: Probably.
2: Because that is weird that they got yeah, Sean shiplocked. I know Revali's not in this game, but to have him play multiple characters is just interesting to me.
0: And then, of course, we also have Christina V, who's in everything. And Chris Hackney, who was Raru, he was in that Scarlet Nexus game. I think Raru was a, one of my favorite English voices. I think he did. He was pretty good. I liked he
1: was it. also Dimitri from Fire Emblem Three Houses.
2: Maybe it's because I mm. have a soft spot for Dimitri, but hey. I
1: thought
0: he was good
2: as Raru.
1: I thought so too. As, as far as I can tell,
0: only Zelda's voice actress is not like an industry insider who's done a bunch of work. Like, I'd have to look at her resume, but. I've never heard of her in anything before, have you? (laughs) No. And to be honest, you know, really
2: nothing against her. I just never really liked her take on Zelda. It's just a personal thing. I just can't really get into it. I don't know what it is. It just has never really worked for me. There's like the end cutscene of this game, and I I recognize it's probably a very personal thing, but the end cutscene of this game I think is really great. But when I heard her speak, it just, it really put me off. I don't know. I'm just still not a fan. Can't like get into it. it. What? That's... Mm, yeah. They have dual language options. Well, they have multiple <laughs> language options, actually. So it's not really yeah. a big problem for me. I can just switch the <laughs> Next language. Next time,
0: I'm going to play it in Espanol. Yeah, I watch a bunch of anime anyway. It's not a big problem
2: for me. Still.
0: So it was... The voice acting is fine. <sighs> like, they, like I thought Minoru was pretty good. Roru was pretty good. Mm. But it's kind of like, Unobo you know, still sucks. Ganondorf felt kind of... The voice just never came together for me. Zelda, I'm, I'm more okay with than you are, evidently. Like, I thought she worked better in this game. You know, it's still not great voice acting, and it's, you know, and I'm even fine with Link still being a mute. It's just, if you're going to have voice acting, then you kind of need to go all the way with it. Like, look at Xenoblade 3, a game that came out last year on the same console, one of the co-developers of Tears of the hmm. Kingdom involved, you know, and it's like, that game has tons of voice acting in yeah. it. Yeah. That game,
2: I think, has stellar voice acting. There's maybe like one or two characters I don't like, but that game also has
0: like- What's
2: That up,
1: game also has like- The bitch that's queen! That's the best character in the game!
2: It has so many voiced characters that the few who don't work just kind of fall out of my memory, because they're usually like minor characters anyway. Yeah.
0: I think it's one of those things where they kind of have to make a decision. This is just kind of where I'm at. If they're going to have voice acting and they're going to have regular cutscenes, then you kind of need to have a real story, (laughs) like one that happens in real time that the player gets to participate in. But they're not willing to do that because there's a subsection of fans who don't want that. Hmm. So the kind of the only way they can give both factions what they want is to do this weird compromise where everything happens before the game starts and you piece it together after the fact. That might be the case. I think maybe it's more so that they wanted to keep
2: it in line with what Breath of the Wild did, and that maybe the next game they do make might be a little bit differently constructed. Who knows?
1: One could hope.
0: But at the same time, the approach that I kind of would prefer, which is something more like Twilight Princess, I guess, because you, you were talking last time, King, about how like you were annoyed that you had to jump through so many hoops to get to the dungeons. Yeah. So it's kind of like if they go for a story that happens in real time then we have more of that in the game we get more skyward sword fetch quest bullshit yeah well and see that's the thing so is that like, like
2: i think i actually fall more in line with preferring the approach they take in these games i simply wish there was more memories if that makes any sense and that they were more yes. substantial yes so i guess for me i'm not i'm more for the story approach they have now But I wish there was more story there because it's all optional anyway. Yeah. So I just wish they dedicated more resources to it, I guess. Yeah.
0: Well, I think another good compromise is one thing, because this isn't part of the main story, but there's sort of like a subplot of the Yiga, what they're doing down in the depths that I thought was a good compromise where it's like that is a linearly progressing story where like you follow Master Koga to all these different parts of the depths and there's sort of like a, a raising of stakes as you go along where you eventually realize, hey, they're building a weapon for Ganondorf. And then you take them out, you know, like more stuff like that would, I think, be a good compromise. Like if we can't have, if I can't see the stuff that's happening in the past in real time, more subplots like that with like an overarching villain would be a good compromise. actually, you know, actually, then um, it's still optional.
2: I think part of the reason that the memories for me work a little better in this game is that. They are technically happening in the past, but in a way, Zelda, like, kind of acts as a dual protagonist, cause it, she, in like a, in like a timeline placement sense, she is, may as well be in the present. She just got transported to the past. So it feels a little bit, like, it still has this, a lot of the same problems Breath of the Wild had, but for me, it's kind of like, she feels a little more active because she was transported there, rather than we're learning about stuff that happened long ago,
0: if you know what I mean. Yeah, this is—it's not stuff Link already did a hundred years ago. But you had—you had mentioned earlier that there were things about Tears of the Kingdom that retroactively improve Breath of the Wild as well. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about some of those. For example, there's the uh, Hebra Canyon Temple in this game, which ends up being the place where you find the Forgotten Temple. Yeah, the locations of all the Tears. Yeah, that was one of those for me as well. Discovering the shit back there—that was really cool. 'Cause like that's that's kind of one of the things I remembered about Breath of the Wild when I say that I felt like there wasn't a lot of stuff to find besides like shrines, beasts, Korok seeds for a little bit until they become too expensive, and then towers. It's like you would have locations like this temple, both the one in Farron Woods and the one in the canyon. Mm. But it's like, okay, you find a shrine and that's it. So it was kind of interesting to go back to these areas in this game. And realize that they were set up like thousands of years ago to sort of guide link along and to stop in Ganondorf and that this is all kind of like Zelda and Roru's plan all along. It's a lot of stuff like that. I think not only that this makes it feel like a dark world, but that the
2: the light routes connected to the shrines also kind of makes it like why weren't the shrines there is because they were all underground or the ones that aren't connected to the light routes are in the sky, which were never visible to the player before. So I think that was a cool thing that they did as well. Yeah,
0: I mean, like, it's it's kind of a small thing, but it did make exploring Hyrule again, this version of Hyrule again in this game kind of refreshing where it's like, oh, so that's why that place was there. That's kind of neat. I do think we need to talk about something very important that shook me to my core, and that's that apparently Sidon is not gay. (laughs) Well, he could be bi, but he's definitely not gay. That is for sure. In any event, he has chosen a Zora woman yeah. over his fuckboy Link. But it's like, it's seriously, you could have oh, I mean, him. hey, like it could be it, into polygamy. Who knows?
1: Or if yeah, anything, it could just be that he's marrying this lady for the sake of the kingdom and his heart really lies with Link. It could be like a political marriage. I'm sure there'll
0: be a fan
2: <laughs> fiction so she's about his that beard. out
0: there.
1: Oh, there already is. <laughs> there has to be.
0: Do you, are you saying that you'd like to read that in no! the show next time? <laughs> No. In terms of the 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 four characters we met in the last game, with the exception of Teba, I guess. I guess the implication is that the champions were descendants of the ancient sages this whole time and they just needed to find the secret stone to kind of awaken their powers. And it was I feel like Sidon and maybe Riju are the only characters who really get any sort of interesting things to do or any sort of development in this game. Yeah, well, Sidon especially is, like, he gets a lot to think about. He goes through an arc <laughs> of some kind, so, yeah. I guess he met some some lady at some point between games and fell in love with her and wants to keep her safe or whatever, but he has to do his job as, as prince and save his kingdom from the sludge, which reminded me of Super Mario Sunshine.
1: <laughs> That's not the second time we've referenced Super Mario Sunshine on this uh tears of the kingdom retrospective yeah
0: when you had your little jab at the blue coin yes. in the last <laughs> episode i haven't forgotten and then reju is like learning how to use her powers and being more active as a leader of her people i liked seeing the little emergency sheltered under Gerudo town yeah, and i really liked link's vo outfit
1: i also thought it was cool how uh you actually got to participate i thought honestly the gerudo stuff was like the best stuff in the game and being able to like being able to participate with the Gerudo, and like pushing back against the Gibdo. I thought that was really fun.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the Sages, we gotta talk about the Sage powers, because we didn't get to do that last time. I thought they were pretty cool. You wanna talk about bad UI and bad yeah. controls? <laughs> I wish
2: they were on shortcuts or something.
1: Yeah. Or like cooldowns or something.
0: So like, uh, remind me, how did like Rivali's Gale and Herbrosa's Fury and whatever the Daruk one was work Daruk's again? Daruk's Protection! They were like, It's so Rivali's Gale, you had to jump and hold the
2: button down, and then it would activate. Daruk is just kind of a passive thing. I think you might have to be shielding for it to work, but yes. I, it's more of a passive thing. Same with Mipha's Grace. It's like, if you die, you just get revived. Then Arbosa, yeah. you had to hold down the spin attack button, and she would shoot lightning when you do that. Okay. So they were all like tied to actions that you would do normally, basically. Yeah. And I guess the thing about this game is that you would have to give them their own buttons because they're much more specialized than they were in Breath of the Wild. So, I don't know. They probably have to give them like some kind of button combination. I don't know.
0: Have you played Pikmin 3 Deluxe? Yeah. Cause like in that game, how the whistle works is, or no, I think it's the whistle has its own button, but you press Y and then like a little cross shaped menu comes up and then you press a direction and then that does the action. Yeah. Like I think if you, pressed, like, I don't think clicking either of the sticks does anything in this game,
2: right? The right stick zooms in, like, gives you a zoomed-in camera. The left stick, what does that do? I feel like it does something. I don't, maybe
0: not. Does it crouch? Yeah, it's crouch. Yeah. Okay, fuck. Because that really is the thing, is that there just aren't enough buttons on the controllers for for these new mechanics. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that there's some combination I haven't thought of, but I think what I might have done is just put them in the rune menu, Mm. like just hold L and select what you want and then use it because it has like a recharge anyway. But the current system that they have of you walk up to the avatar, press A and then press A again to use the thing. It just does not work, especially if you have like all five of them and they're all clustered around you Mm -hmm. because like I relied pretty heavily on Unibo to get through the caves to do my mining and break those blue rocks. But there are times where that fucker just would not teleport to you or would be moving out of the way where you, and you have to like chase after him for a bit or something. Uh oh. I accidentally talked to Sidon by mistake and his ability is worthless in my experience. So I just turned him off after a while. And then I eventually I turned off Rejude too, because it's easier to just shoot a shock arrow at Gibdo's anyway. So those two abilities I didn't like that much. Tulin's ability I used all the time because it's like really important for getting around fast. Like it's much easier to glide down to things from the Skyview Towers than to try to walk there. Then we have Minoru, which I actually thought was really cool, even though it took me a while to figure out that I could you could equip unfused weapons. You could fuse them to the hands. Mm. Because I tried putting one of my fused weapons on and it just didn't work. But other than that, it was like like I said in the last part, and in the little enemy rush before you fight the final boss, I just used Mineru to take care of all the Bakoblins and Lizalfos and stuff. Got to save all the durability on my actual weapons for Ganondorf, even though I didn't end up needing them because the Master Sword doesn't break in the final boss.
1: Well, at least they had restraint there. Jesus Christ.
2: Mineru was pretty cool. I found that dungeon, like, it was like my third dungeon, I think. That was like one of the craziest things that happened to me in this game is finding that dungeon,
1: the construct temple, yeah, or the construct factory.
2: I kind of just call it the spirit temple, even though it's not technically called that until you fight the boss.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's by extension it is. I thought that was a really cool. I mean, I don't, I didn't really know what to expect, so I was just like, oh hey, you get to build a giant robot. Yeah, as the te- like as the temple's gimmick, I'm like, oh, I think
2: I was more <laughs> enamored with it because I discovered it on my own, mm-hmm. and it made it feel more
0: special to me. So, did you just find it underground while you were exploring the depths? No, I found it in the in the sky, because that's where you have to do oh, that's it. That's right. You need the owl face. You can just fly in there. If
2: you have enough hearts, you can open the door, and it just starts the thing.
0: I would have figured that the black cloud would have killed you or something. No,
2: you, I actually um, <laughs> I explored the entire sky archipelago without removing the lightning clouds and what it does basically is that you can't see more than like a foot in front of you oh wow that was very very painful but also as you could probably imagine very very rewarding mm-hmm. it was freaking awesome and it makes it all the more jarring that the rest of the dungeons don't let you do shit like that and it really
0: bothers me mm-hmm.
1: but at least there was
2: one well,
0: of them- that's because you don't need a glorified key blocking around with you yeah
1: it shows that it can be done. So all Nintendo has to do is just expand on that idea more. Yeah. Yeah. All right. It's, uh, can we talk about Ganondorf though? Yes.
0: Let's I talk. I also about have esoteric feelings about Ganondorf. Our boy G-dwarf.
1: I. Uh, like. Ah. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> Sounds like you were disappointed.
1: Cause like I see what they did. They they kind of did a Skull Kid thing with ganondorf where it's like all these things that are happening in the world is a it's directly because of ganondorf he is the reason because he was using this puppet zelda to like run around and say hey you know what you should do you should stick a toaster in a bathtub that's a great (laughs) idea you know i thought just like the ring i thought that was interesting for like a little bit but the problem that i have and also it's kind of a problem with the sages as well Is that, like, if you go in every single region and, like, you're clearing the story, it's the same thing over and over again. Zelda said it was a good idea to eat these rocks filled with meth. What? (laughs) That wasn't (laughs) Zelda? Wow. And then you beat the dungeon and then, like, the sages tell you the same exact thing every single time. Yes. I wanted
0: to mention that.
1: You know? So that was lame, you know? And... I don't know. It's, I felt like as if, like, Ganondorf was here, but simultaneously not. And I also felt like as if his dialogue lacked a lot of the kind of weight that I had in other games. Like, Twilight Princess Ganondorf was, like, shoehorned in, sure, but I still remember that, <laughs> you know? Yes. Like, I still felt like as if, yeah, sure, he was shoehorned in, but, like, he kind of stole the show by the end of the game, despite him being, like, super fucking easy to fight, but I don't know. He had, like, a presence, like, in all the games that he was in. He has, like, this really commanding yeah. and threatening presence, and I felt like if that wasn't here in this game. Even as the mummy. I, I thought the mummy thing was kind of cool, but you just see him for, like, two cutscenes, and that's it. Oh. And he talks like this for most of the game. You want some water? You want some jean? <laughs> I'm nothing but skin mm-hmm. and bones. What do you think? Skin and bones, steel to rush. As to ashes, dust to dust. <laughs> I knew you'd appreciate that one, but yeah, no, I just like, and even then, when, like in the past, you don't really see him do much. Like I remember, like there was, I think, like the first cutscene I saw was him, like of ganondorf was him like standing in front of a whole bunch of Molduga, and he's like, hyrule will be mine," and then he they blast all of the Molduga, and the ganondorf's like, "Well, that won't work, man."
0: <laughs> no, the point of that scene was he saw the secret stone's power and coveted it for himself. Yeah, on and off. Note, to- can I say? The name
2: Secret Stone is quite possibly it, one of the stupidest names they could have come up with for these <laughs> fucking objects. And I hate it's it so much.
1: Tears of the Kingdom. It could have Every called time it they the said Tears. Secret
2: Stone, I cringed a little bit. Like, why would I you did call too. it that? It's so,
0: I don't know. It, it's just a small thing. But why? Why would you call I'm it with that? You. It's better than Pearls of the Sidon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I can't wait to play Link to the Past and get the tubular triangles. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds like something that would be in the CDI games. <laughs> it is! give anything for an orbital steak! <laughs> My cakes will burn! Oh. Yeah, when Ganondorf's best moment in the memories is this, then that kind of <laughs> says something. His, his troll face.
1: <laughs> okay I- i'll be honest though there is a scene where you see him like riding on his horse with a whole bunch of monsters running behind him it doesn't really yeah, add anything cool. but that was that was pretty fucking raw i'm not gonna lie i just wish we saw more of that ganondorf it's
2: the thing for me is that i quite enjoyed this ganondorf but the problem is that if they just dedicated a few more scenes to him to really build him out more i probably would have been more invested because as it stands yes he's like He's got a really, he might be my favorite, like, Ganon final boss, probably, but it just, the problem is that the build-up to it is very abrupt, and he doesn't have a lot building his character out before then, and you mostly just have to rely on, like, alternative means and, like, world building stuff to even get a lot out of the encounter.
1: You know, I can actually agree that this is probably my favorite Ganondorf boss fight. I think, uh-huh. I think the window dressing for like ocarina and twilight princess i think it's more interesting because i mean essentially you're fighting ganondorf in a cave at the end of this game and that's not as fun as like fighting him like one-on-one like in a giant castle or in a giant field and there's like lightning lightning clouds all over the place and it's raining so it's not as cinematic there as like in tears of the kingdom but the fight itself is genuinely great
2: oh yeah that's (laughs) and that's part of for me what kind of carries him mm. is that? That final fight. I pretty much enjoy everything about it. Like his dialogue is really raw there, and his music is really like it. Really feeds into like his more foreboding elements, and I his design I think is fucking rad.
1: His, the demon king design. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. Pretty fucking rad. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's what I mean when he looks gotcha. more like demise. Uh, I think it's fucking mm. awesome. Yes, and the way when dude when he like does the hand thing at you. <laughs> Beckons to you. I'm
0: like, okay, yeah, I want to fucking kick your ass, dude.
1: <laughs> Listen, I nearly. That, that's
0: kind of the thing is like, there's this, there was one scene in the memories where he's like, which kind of echoes Ocarina of Time, where he kneels before King Roru, but like, sort of under his breath, it, he's clearly up to something <laughs> and Roru knows it. There's that scene was kind of fun. I think part of why that final boss stands out as not just the gameplay I think it's the moment where Ganondorf's personality finally kind of comes out because he's cocky and overconfident hence the finger beckoning thing then he's like he does the Frieza thing where it's like this is only the beginning of my power and then he levels up and then the the health bar almost goes off the screen oh
1: my god yeah (laughs)
0: <laughs> th- then you beat him anyway, and then he throws a fit like a toddler, and basically is like, "Fuck you! If I can't rule this country, I'm gonna turn into a fucking dragon and burn it all down, and you can't stop me, bitch." Yeah, that <laughs> is like, it was really cool. I thought
1: I almost shat my pants when if like if you're fighting Demon King Ganon and you have like a heart that got affected by the gloom, yeah. and he attacks you, yeah. th- you you lose it.
2: You, lose you just it fucking lose the heart. It's so fucking cool.
1: Well, permanently until like you reload your save or you start the next phase of the fight. Yeah. But yeah. I I almost I, I don't know. That legitimately shook me to my core. I had to pause it when I saw that. I'm like, no, no, no. Listen, I love seeing the, the massive health meter in Zelda games. All the hearts lined up. It's one of the things that make these games so much so so satisfying to me. It's a stupid thing. So to see that get taken away, that was a goddamn <laughs> insult. Makes makes me want to beat Ganondorf just a little bit more, you know? (laughs) Fuck. Yeah, the dragon stuff is really cool, too. But, you know, and I I literally just thought about this, too, because I thought this fight was genuinely good, but there was something about it that was missing. And I kind of realized what it was. This is the first time that we've had Link, Ganondorf, and Zelda in a Zelda game, and yet the Triforce is never mentioned.
0: That is interesting, yeah.
1: Never brought up. So, I don't know. That was, like, it felt a little naked. (laughs) Mm.
0: I know, I guess the secret stones are kind of meant to fill
1: in that void. Triforce is cooler.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It is weird that they don't rely on the Triforce, even though they did
0: kind of in Breath of the Wild. They at least showed them on the hands. Yeah. I don't even remember because that that was something I was telling you guys is like, I barely even remember what happened. The Triforce is not technically in Breath of the Wild, but it's on, they show it on your hand still, you know? Okay. But they don't even do that here, which is interesting. Speaking of the Triforce and Link, Zelda, and Ganon, when Breath of the Wild came out, it was kind of difficult to nail down where in the timeline it was supposed to be, like the series timeline. And I I know you, King, have always been of the position that Zelda would be better off just treating all of its, unless if it's like a direct sequel, like treating these all as like individual legends or myths from some universe like that aren't intended or meant to be connected. Yes. But regardless, Nintendo has insisted on trying to put them into a timeline, and I think with this game, we finally get a sense of where these wild games are supposed to be, or at least my interpretation of it, is that the stuff with Sonya and Roru takes place sometime after Skyward Sword, and then probably thousands of years pass, and then Breath of the Wild, and then probably that goes into the Ocarina yeah, chunk of the, the timeline. Yeah, Breath of the Wild, um, they've said... I think Aonuma or somebody said it was like 10,000
2: years after. It was like so long in the future that every every other game is so far in the past that they became legend. Which is essentially them am just saying they, they decided they wanted to put Breath of the Wild so far in the future that they essentially rebooted it. It was like a soft reboot.
0: So, which there are like three branches of the time. Oh, like that's the, the thing Majora is that one. They,
2: they did not specify. It. They just said it's so far in the future that you can figure it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, they kind of gave up. Yeah. They realized it was a stupid idea. I'm going to guess it's
0: not the Wind Waker branch of the timeline. Well, actually, that's what a lot of people believe. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Because of the Koroks and shit like that. And Oh, yeah, that's the whole confusing angle of that. But it, but that doesn't make sense because Ganondorf has been buried in the same place for thousands of years. So unless if the old Hyrule that sank under the ocean rose up again, well, that's that wouldn't But that's the thing work. is
2: that they gave up. They literally said... In some kind of interview, they're like, this takes place so far in the future that everything that came from before kind of amalgamated into like a bunch of stories that people tell. That's their, I don't know what their exact words are, but that's more or less what they said. And so my understanding is that they have just decided that where Breath of the Wild is, is going to be a pseudo fresh start without completely abandoning the timeline for those who still care about it. There's actually, I think somebody came out. About Tears of the Kingdom and said, we look forward to seeing where people place this on the timeline. Like they were completely like, we're not going to fucking say you guys just have fun with it. (laughs) I think they they have completely abandoned the idea of officiating the timeline anymore. I just don't think
0: they care. Which is probably what they should have just done to begin with. But yeah, they they already opened this Pandora's box by releasing that Historia thing. Well, they're clearly trying to close it now. So the genie is out of the bottle, as Spock would say. That's that's from the trouble with Tribbles. That's the episode with the little furry guys on the space station. Anyways, uh (laughs) the point now is that it's all up to fan speculation because they won't
2: say what line of the timeline it takes place in. And it's so far in the future that nobody can figure it out.
1: You know, I guess that kind of makes the items or the legacy items kind of, you know, makes it feel a bit cooler because like you're getting all this stuff from like ages and ages and ages ago. Yeah. Makes it feel more like relics. So I think that's kind of cool. I kind of like that interpretation.
0: I'm sorry. My mind has just been kind of blown because like that is not what I took away from the actual games at all. (laughs) This is kind of like a word of God thing where we just kind of have to take it on faith that they're telling the truth Mm -hmm. because like, I don't know, my interpretation of things because I legitimately thought Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, the modern day stories take place between Skyward Sword and Ocarina of Time. No, um, no, and that, no, no, no. That no. was my interpretation because there's no indication because it can't be after Wind Waker. That makes no sense. It could be after Twilight Princess or the 8-bit timeline, where, whatever that branch is. But I guess after 8-bit Zelda would make sense, maybe. Well, really, it's either you put the 10,000 years in between some games or you put them all after some of the games. The problem is that they don't mention 10,000 years in the game. They do, no yes. They do yeah, in Breath of the Wild. Of the Wild could you, yeah. Is that King Rome's speech? Yes. Does he mention it there? It was well, either I think him or Impa. Impa. I don't remember yeah. whether
2: it was him or Impa, but Impa talks about how 10,000 years ago is when Calamity Ganon started. But there could be 10,000 years between Well, Sky that's what I just sword. said, is that it's either in between some of the games or it's after all of the games, because the time gap is so large. But they, yeah, they've so also that, said that it takes that place after out. it's so far in the future that every single game previously is takes place a long time so ago. So
1: Aunuma said this? Yeah.
2: Maybe it wasn't Aunuma, it was somebody on the dev team.
1: Probably Aunuma. Aunuma, maybe the director might have said it.
2: They even have I think they updated the timeline image to put it all the way past. So And really that's as official as it's gonna get, because technically the timeline never existed until they
0: said it did. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's the same thing, really. Are you familiar with the concept of the death of the author? Yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing
2: is that um, either all of it's correct or none of it is because technically it was all set outside of
0: the games. So, yes, it's all paratext, which I don't know that's that's an entire can of worms to go over about whether paratext should be considered with text or not. How the Internet has spurred a relationship between a creator of a work and the fans of that work, e.g. J.K. Rowling deciding that characters are gay after the fact yeah i don't know i think it's the the having this conversation has made me realize that we probably just should not have timelines for this stuff exactly that's where i'm at
1: (laughs) official timelines yes the speculation is always fun you know
0: sure yeah it's always it's always obviously obviously ocarina majora sequels the two seasons games are take place alongside each other yeah and then we have like the wind waker trilogy where it's pretty clear that they're supposed to be sequels, but like this, this is this 10,000 years nonsense is just stupid. <laughs> it's making my head hurt. Yeah, that's the thing <laughs> is
2: that I've completely abandoned the timeline in general. And I actually really, really appreciate that Breath of the Wild did what it did and just decided we're going to take all the cool ideas and put it in this game. And mm-hmm. who the fuck cares anymore? And now it really does feel like we've gone back to the style of they're just telling legends again.
0: Yeah.
1: Because honestly, like if you think about it, having a timeline is restricting because then you have to make sure that like it fits in place with all these other games and then you have to like you can't really tell the kind of story that you really want to tell.
2: Well, that's the thing too is that um they I feel like they're being a bit sly with it now in the sense that like they they drop things like the name Rauru and the imprisoning war, and mm-hmm. clearly these things, like I just don't really know how they would have taken place back because the imprisoning war I think was occurring of time's story. Like, it told the story of the Imprisoning War, because Link to the Past happened after it.
0: Well, that was an interpretation, because, like, the Imprisoning War was mentioned in the prologue to Link to the Past, right? Yeah, and Ocarina of Time... Uh, they talk about the Seven Wise Men, yeah. which is later retranslated to Sages in the GBA version.
1: And then Ocarina so, is before... Yeah, Ocarina was uh, before
2: uh, Link to the Past, and I think they were even saying they were trying to make it like the Imprisoning War
0: when they were developing it, so... Mm-hmm. I guess there could be two Imprisoning Wars... There's there's no reason that can't be the case. Oh, God, are, thing, we, that, like, are we
1: on the verge of Imprisoning War 3?
0: It's interesting because <laughs> they like. The most ambitious crossover in the history of media.
2: <laughs> I think they did that on purpose to kind of say, like, we don't care anymore. <laughs> like, I honest mm. to God just think that that is the case. Yeah. Uh, because then when they use things like the Imprisoning so. War <laughs> and Raru again in a different context, it does start to fit the bill more of like. An interpretive story that changes across the ages, which is, I think is cool.
0: Mm-hmm. We've sort of glossed over the fact that Zelda turns into a fucking dragon to fix the master sword and ensure that Link has the strength he needs to defeat Ganondorf in the future. Yeah. Her original place in the timeline, which was a very touching sacrifice where she's basically giving up her sense of self to make sure that Link can fulfill his duty. Mm-hmm. I, I did find it kind of a cop-out then that Roru and Sonya just undo it, mm-hmm. and they don't really explain it, because like Impa makes a point of of being like, no, there must be some way to undo it, and that seems like a good setup for a side quest that the player could do, where like- Yeah, I was expecting to have to do a little more. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that would have been cool.
0: But instead, Roru and Sonya just pour deus ex machina and- and Zelda doesn't even remember being a dragon afterwards, so it's it's kind of like, I guess that had no real effect on her, because <laughs> she can't remember anyway, so that those t- 10,000 years of her being a dragon might as well have just never happened. So, I don't know, that, was, that kind of soured what was otherwise a pretty good touching sacrifice for me,
1: honestly. I remember, and I guess this is also just kind of like going back to Ganondorf for a bit, You know, you go back to that E3 2019 trailer they had, and first thing first, it's like they had like a a blink and you miss it flash of Ganondorf on a mural, and you see him with his trident. Mm -hmm. And I think, oh, I was, I thought that could have been cool. Like if we got like the warlock Ganondorf, Mm -hmm. I would have loved to see that. And, you know, again, like we also see Ganondorf and he has like a giant, like he has like holes in his body. And I guess I was thinking like, oh shit. Is this Ganondorf from Twilight Princess? You know? <laughs> it's like, I thought, like, maybe something happened and, like, you know, he got stabbed. Maybe the, you know, they took the body back to Hyrule Castle, steal it away, and I guess... So, yeah, some of that magic is kind of gone. I guess it's just, like, some more... Ganondorf didn't really live up to my expectations in that sense, and maybe I'm disappointed because it wasn't what I wanted it to be. You know, that could be a thing, too. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that timeline shit. It's weird. <laughs>
2: it's kind of curious to me that... Ganondorf is like he there's a lot of like ocarina homages like him kneeling before the king is I think they even frame it the same way they did an ocarina
1: similar yeah yeah
2: and it's like the same sort of setup where he's kneeling before the king but he obviously is not swearing fealty to
1: him Zelda knows something's up
2: yeah and it feels like very intentional <laughs> to me that they did it that way I don't know it, it, like because I was thinking too before the game came out I'm like I wonder if this is the same Ganondorf as one of the timelines but just seems like they're rolling with the ambiguity now. Yeah. I thought Demise would show up, but he just never did. I think, honestly, <laughs> at this point, Demise is just a thing that happened in Skyward Sword that will never be mentioned again.
0: I thought the the implication was, because Ganondorf is a reincarnation of Demise, and the Secret Stone allowed him to take control of Demise's full strength.
2: Yeah. Well, I think and that was the implication. Like Prior to the game coming out, I had thought that because the Master Sword broke, Demise would have been released, because he's in the Master Sword.
0: Mm-hmm. is that what happened i thought he died well,
2: he gets sealed in them ma- like i'm pretty sure that's like there's motions where all of his energy gets sucked into the master Sword. he might have died but i think he's supposed to be in there
1: and they they spell it out that like over thousands of years his i guess his essence would be faded out of the sword
2: yeah but the fact that he gets sucked in there made me think that maybe they'd let him out
0: or something i don't know mm-hmm. I have finished this game twice, and I do not remember
1: that. And you know, it's like also the fact that they <laughs> released Skyward Sword HD before Tears of the Kingdom, it kind of made it feel like as if maybe Skyward Sword HD was supposed to it was also maybe that, remind um, you of things they were trying to set up for Tears of the Kingdom. But For me, it, it was
2: also that the first 3D game that Hidemaro Fujibayashi directed was Skyward Sword, and he was also the writer for that game, so I mm-hmm. thought maybe he would have wanted demise to have more of a direct influence because that was kind of his like first 3D writing debut but that just didn't end up happening which is fine like it's not going to hold it against the game the demise didn't appear but it was just interesting it's a lot different than I thought it would be also why is it now
1: gloom I wonder that too
2: because <laughs> it like It makes it weird because my I'm just going to believe for now that Calamity Ganon was like Phantom Ganon and he was oozing out of Ganondorf because otherwise I don't really know what Calamity Ganon even is. Uh, Yeah,
0: I just wanted one line from Ganondorf before you fight him where he says, did you enjoy that puppet I cooked up for you? But I think that I assume it's the case
2: because he made once he was released, he made like eight million Phantom Ganons and they all flew out into the world. So wasn't Calamity Ganon more of like a purplish? Yeah. Rather than a red? Sort of. I think they're the similar color scheme, but it was a little more purple. Yeah. That's the thing is that like the idea of it being like his evil energy just kind of like is the only explanation I can think of.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, like you guys know my friend Nick on Planet Ripple. Mm. When Botwa came out, he had posited a hypothesis to me that Calamity Ganon was a version of Ganondorf slash Ganon, who had reincarnated and been slain so many times that he lost a piece of his soul every time it happened Mm -hmm. until eventually he just became an uncontrollable rage monster, like a force of nature. Hence why when you fight the spider Calamity Ganon, it still has like Ganon's face on it. It has like a human head. But obviously that's out the window now because now we know that there was a Ganondorf under the castle the whole time. Mm -hmm. So there goes that kind of interesting idea. (laughs) Here's the thing. Obviously, they have... There are some things like them
2: not explaining Calamity Gandon. It's technically up for interpretation because they never directly say... There's a thing with Xenoblade 3 as well that I won't get too far into because I'd be spoiling Xenoblade 3, but similarly in that game, there's a lot left up to interpretation, I think probably intentionally in that case. Like the ending? And it's... Yes. It's always interesting to me because... It feels like to me that story writing is like kind of a balance between they don't want to spell everything out for you because it's kind of boring that way. But they also, if you leave too much up to interpretation, it can feel like kind of a cop out. Snoke died, Hmm. but who was he? And it's interesting to me because a lot of the things that I like about Zelda storytelling and world building is that one of the things I really like about Ocarina of Time is that there's a lot of missing pieces and I don't consider it a bad thing because I like to think about like... There are lines in that game where they say that the water temple was built, like the Zora built them, they say, because they wanted to worship their water spirits or whatever. And so you go in there and supposedly Ganondorf like pollutes the temples with his evil more directly with Phantom Ganon because he sends it to the forest temple. So like... Things like, is Dark Link in the Water Temple a result of the temple or a result of Ganondorf? And it's interesting, like, I think stuff like that is really fascinating to think about and have different interpretations. But then there are obviously things that I kind of wish would be more elaborated upon, and it's always an interesting balance for me, what they decide to explain and what they don't decide to explain, and whether or not it was intentional. But I think it's probably better in a lot of cases for me to leave some things up to interpretation rather than dedicate a bunch of exposition to something. Because it just for me, I would probably prefer a story that is paced a little bit more swiftly than one that is paced agonizingly, like fucking Xenogears. I fucking hate <laughs> Xenogears, dude. Oh my God. AKA, oops, all themes. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think certainly the story of this game had a lot of things they probably could have done better than they did. But I also appreciate on the whole that it's something that I'm quite into. I think that they obviously my angle of it being kind of a part two to Breath of the Wild certainly enhances a lot of things about it that would be really weak on their own. But yeah, I think on the whole, I I really appreciate what they've been able to build here, even if there are a lot of holes. And I hope that with the next game, they're able to build upon a lot of these same elements and Maybe make it a little bit more compelling, maybe add a little bit more memories if they're going to do that again. They probably won't be memories, but like, I think that really all they need to do is add a little bit more story. I don't really have a problem inherently with the structure that they've built. I just think they're being a little bit too conservative with the amount they want to show the
0: player, you know? Mm hmm. I still feel like there's a good middle ground between making the story completely optional and shoving it into like these little cutscenes you have to find and what they did with like getting into the temples in this game. Mm I don't know. I I feel like the problem was less the approach with those sections and more the fact that they were kind of boring. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of in the, the position of either have a story or don't have it. And this kind of goes like with what I was suggesting last time where like, keep this new formula, keep making games like it because there's an audience for it. And it's, I think, reached a good form at this point, but people still like the older Zelda games as well. There's still an appetite for those. Put the story in those, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I'm releasing videos about
2: this. I don't want to go too in depth with it, but part of me just wants to, at this point, leave a lot of that stuff behind. If they want to do that, then they should kind of just go all or nothing with it. Because at this point, I feel that, that a lot, pretty much all of the traditional stuff that they were working with really only works with the approach that they were working with. And that the thing about the wild games is that to a larger or smaller amount of success, they are really, really going with the angle that they want you to be able to do absolutely anything at any point that you want. And it's interesting. Like I don't really think I want any kind of compromises in that regard, because it's such a radical departure that it almost feels to me like it would be a weakness if they really decided we're going to be like, if you really think about it, it's kind of a 50-50 divide between an extremely linear progression and a extremely non-linear progression. And sure, maybe there could be a universe where you could mix the two approaches, but is that something I really want? I don't know. i probably have to think about it more, but I think it might just be better to leave a lot of that stuff behind, and that might be a radical hot take that I have, but I think I'm kind of content with what those games offered me, and there are so many of them that there are ones that I still return to and can appreciate, and that I'd rather they just completely abandon those things, which is a lot different than what I felt when I beat Breath of the Wild, which is pretty much the opposite of how I felt back then. Yeah. But,
0: yeah. Yeah. I I hear you. It's just I guess uh I've lived long enough to see myself become the villain in a sense, <laughs> uh, just like the Joker cuz when I started out posting internet content, I was complaining about classic Sonic purists not being able to get with the program at the changing times. And here I am doing the same thing for these newer Zelda games. At least i've I've come to the point now where I can appreciate them as two different entities mm-hmm. with their own strengths and weaknesses. It doesn't necessarily mean I want to want the you know the older Zelda to just go away forever or whatever i I think there's room for both, and if they keep making smaller links awakening type games for the older formula, I think that's something that they can sustain, yeah,
1: if they could stop remaking Zelda games. that'd be great just for a second yes, you know, make a new traditional zelda game yeah i think that'd That'd be be really good
2: too even if it has to be like 2d i think that that old style still has a lot of merit to be brought back in some form there's some stuff you know it's not like by any means that that old style was perfected in a sense you know but i think that they could probably run with two different kinds of zelda because i think there is a lot of merit to the
0: older zeldas
2: and Mm -hmm.
0: probably still a lot that could be done with them all right do we have any other observations we want to share about spoilery stuff, or are we good? I thought the dragon
1: fight with Ganon was really cool.
2: Him exploding <laughs> was maybe the most raw <laughs> thing I've ever seen.
1: You know, and it also just goes into what I was saying before, where it just it makes me like Zelda a whole lot more, because she's right there with you. She's helping yeah, you take on Ganon. Yeah, I think that, that
2: is a really cool aspect of it, is that she doesn't really, like, do a whole lot in the fight, other than make sure you don't fall to the ground, but, like, It is really, really cool that she's there to fight Ganondorf with you, which is not a new concept. She did that in Twilight Princess as well. And like Wind Waker. Waker. But it's like a a cooler rendition of that because she's a fucking dragon, you know?
1: Yeah. (laughs) And it's honestly, it's again, it's kind of like the same as it was in Breath of the Wild where you have this giant monster and you have to find. Five spots that you have to go target, and you have to attack, and they have to shoot them in the forehead. Yeah. You know, it's essentially structured the same. It's just the window dressing is a lot cooler yeah. <laughs> because it's a giant like I, dragon I can, in the sky.
0: I can only barely visualize what the final phase of calamity ganon looks like. it's like a giant pig and
1: you're in a field and then like the horse that you had in the beginning of the game is right there with you you know and i don't know i, I like calamity ganon i, I like that final you know, final also, Breath of the wild
2: this is cool. definitely the coolest master sword grab of all yes. time <laughs> yes yes it is definitely my favorite one.
1: Pretty much, if you have dragons involved in anything, it most of the time, it, it makes it cooler. Oh, I'm getting a call. One second.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it most of the time makes uh, it cooler. Skyward Sword is the one exception where having dragons actually make things worse. <laughs> where it actually makes uh, it drag on. <laughs> Where's my drum?
0: <laughs> uh, are, are you talking about the... Um, <laughs> Are you talking about the the music notes underwater, or are you talking about the stealth mission?
1: (laughs) Yes, I'm talking about the music notes underwater. You mean the tag
2: tones? What are we talking about? Yes. Yeah, okay.
1: Getting the lady a glass of water. (laughs) I remember that. That wasn't fun. I hated that. (laughs) Fuck. I like Valu. He's a nice dragon. Final thoughts?
0: I think I've said everything.
1: Yeah, that was pretty much much
2: everything I wanted to get across. The big, like, Overarching thing in pretty much all aspects is that I feel like these two games enhance each other, and I have more appreciation for them both because they both exist fused, you could say, together. <laughs> um, so here's a cameo from my cat. He's trying to knock my door down.
1: Hi.
0: Currently, Yato Kami. I yeah, guess the yato. thing that
1: I want to say, and I'll try not to like ramble on too much here, because I know I know King's got occupations, and that's. I that's, got you like know. a half
0: hour. It's
2: not that ah. big a deal.
1: Okay. Cool. So I'll I'll ramble on then. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, essentially, it's like I thought this game was very good. I think it was worth the wait. It does enough to not feel like DLC or anything like that. It feels like as if it's a, it's like a worthwhile sequel for mm-hmm. the next game. Do something different.
2: I agree.
0: Yes, I agree either do something. Yeah,
1: new high rule or new world. It doesn't have to be high rule shake up the story formula a little bit shake up the dungeons a little bit
2: but that's actually what i wanted this game to be but mm -hmm. they sold me on what they did even if that's not what i would have wanted but now yeah definitely need them to do something (laughs) you can't do that yeah third time you know
1: what honestly if we maybe this is blasphemous but like we don't need the next zelda game to be as big as this
2: yeah I especially think if, if you they just... add like more density of stuff you can do it doesn't really need to yeah. be as big of like a world you know
1: cause it's impressive yeah. don't get me wrong but like at this point if you try to outdo tears of the kingdom are we going to space
2: <laughs> you know <laughs> they <No>. had <laughs> <laughs> they had the thing is that the master cycle was like part of their like original concepts along with like they had UFOs and shit yeah yeah like I wouldn't even be surprised that they went a little bit less fantasy with it. You know what I mean?
1: No, like I think, it, like you know, to some extent, because like in Final Fantasy Four, you go to the moon.
2: Yeah, you and know, that's so the, that's that's like thing. ostensibly a fantasy story.
1: Yeah, but like, are we going to Neb Neblon Florm Flum? No, I think they need could to certainly <laughs>
2: add more to what Zelda is because, like, they've already broke. One of my video titles is how Breath of the Wild broke 3D Zelda, which I think is really Mm -hmm. clever. But I think they've already kind of broken so many conventions that they could start within reason. I'm going to say within reason, they could start meddling a little bit with what Zelda's identity even is probably from an aesthetical Mm -hmm. standpoint Mm -hmm. within reason again. I think maybe they could start, you know, they clearly had a lot of ideas aesthetically that were outside of the norm. Like I said, the UFOs and the even the ancient technology and stuff like that is a little bit less fantasy than it is like sci-fi. Yeah, so they're yeah. already injecting a lot of foreign elements into Zelda that I think at this point, especially if I really, really want them to move away from like Ganondorf a lot, actually. So mm-hmm. I I'm kind of banking on them doing something a little bit more um what's the artistic word like avant-garde is that the word
1: i think i know what you mean yeah <sighs> is, you know, I know
2: what you mean honestly
1: yeah. i guess like what what i would want because like i remember like you were talking about like how the sky is like your thing and everything like that for me it's the ocean mm-hmm. and i would love if we had another take like a zelda game like in the open oceans and maybe even be you know, being able to explore like the depths of the oceans and finding like a lot temples underwater—that there
2: would be underwater exploration in this game, but there wasn't. I
1: thought so too. So I that would could be a cool angle
2: that. for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and bring back fishing. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> bring it back. Yeah, that's my take. Just since do something. Since we're kind of
2: doing this, uh, Exo, what if is there anything that you particularly want to see from the New Zelda that they make?
0: Uh, ten years from now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in, in in 20 years when the next Zelda game comes out, I'm sick of Sages, I'm sick of Ganondorf, and I'm sick of the Triforce. So let's see a different I kind agree, of story, honestly, yeah. a different setting. Do something more like Majora's Mask. Have a different villain. Have a different kind of conflict. Like, you could still have Link and Zelda in it. You could even have, like, do what tw- Twilight Princess was trying to do with Ganondorf, but do it better. Yeah. Like, have an actual secondary villain. Because sometimes that can be interesting, like uh Mario and Luigi Dream Team does that, where you think the the evil Bat guy mm-hmm. is Antasma is going to be the villain, and then at the last minute you kill him, and Bowser takes over as the main villain, which was actually kind of refreshing at the time. That was before he was the main villain of every Mario RPG for a while.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, as somebody who kind of doesn't mind the Zant stuff being
0: one up by Ganondorf, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I don't know, like underwater's like that could be cool, but it's like would it be in a submersible or a submarine or would you be able to swim and how would that work like if you had zora link controls that would be really fun or maybe you could transform um,
1: into you know different monsters and shit that
0: could be I think cool. the idea of having a submarine is not out of the question anymore. <laughs> no, no the not at all. That could definitely. I, I'm happen. just thinking of how that would control. Yeah. and how that would play whether that would be fun or fit with the rest of the game and it's like I think maybe if it was like a if it wasn't the whole
2: game and it was more of like a, like the depths are in this game, like maybe just like a, an area yeah. or something,
0: you know what I mean? Like, like you can have like a giant lake or something. Yeah.
2: Well, maybe it would be kind of like wind waker, but with more sizable land masses and less mm-hmm. ocean.
0: If you know what I mean? Yeah. That was the problem with wind waker, is that most of that was just empty space.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of like what Sail. I was putting <laughs> down, like what I would want to see. except mm-hmm. like just like
0: more depth. So far Xenoblade 2 is a better sky game than all of the sky stuff that they've put out so far. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know like well, uh, honestly even
2: Xenoblade 1 I think the heights that you can get to in that game make it mm-hmm. feel like a it gives me that same it makes it feel like a better sky game because the thing I like about the sky is that you can see like miles and miles below you. Really I just want kind of like a scale yeah. for that kind of thing. Not that I think they're probably not even going to try that again at this point but oh well.
0: Well, as uh, as our good friend TGX would say, only time will tell. Only time only will tell. Only time will tell. So yes, uh, thank you all for joining us for this Tears of the Kingdom podcast. Not sure what's what's going to be next. We tossed around a few different ideas. Like, do like a catch-up video for stuff that's come out so far? So we don't have like a five-hour long and if your <laughs> podcast, I have an idea, um, but I'm uh, going to keep it a surprise. Be, yeah, definitely be good if we could do that. There's that. Kingdom Hearts fan fiction I want us <laughs> to read. Ooh, Christ There's, on cross. We can do a, the Metroid Prime playthrough of Teased or Glover or Toy Story 2. Toy Story 2? Oh, fuck. Hey, let's do if it. If we do Toy Story 2, I want to play it. Let me play uh, it. But the problem is, is I need to record it for the video. Why? <laughs> because I need a recording of it. Uh, Just a way to kill two birds with one stone. Oh! I'm playing it four times anyway.
1: Oh, I see. Well. Stars above.
0: I would be unhappy, but I guess in that respect, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have us play some weird version like the Dreamcast one or something. Yeah, but th- those are just some of the things on the table for the future, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure to subscribe sure and hit that hit like button. Make sure to hit my ass and... Uh... <laughs> oh, you don't, you don't even have to ask. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I think we better stop there before it gets worse. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Yeah, see ya. Please check out our YouTube channel for playthroughs of our favorite games and video versions of all our podcasts. This episode was edited by yours truly, ExoParadigm Gamer. Check out the links in the description to follow each of us on YouTube, Twitter, and more. Thank you all very much for watching our podcast, and we'll see you all next time.